Welcome to the CEO Story, brought to you by KC Johan, founder of Together CFO, where every week we're interviewing the top CEOs in various industries, sharing their journey and extracting the top things that made them successful. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the CEO Podcast. And we have a fantastic one today with some interesting twists along the way. We have Lily Anna Ede Monhe, who is the co-founder and CEO of Sabio. Liliana, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, have this conversation with you. And my apologies if I if I mispronounced your name. It's quite a mouthful there. Uh, can we just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background, and then we can dig into your, your history and how you created such an amazing, successful company? Uh, wonderful. Yes. So uh, I am a Latina immigrant, came to this country when I was really young from northern Mexico, and uh, I am the CEO and co-founder of Sabio. We are a technical coding boot camp. You can think of it as a uh, personal accelerator for people who very quickly want to become professional software engineers. Fantastic. And how did you end up doing that? <laughs> um, so very interesting. I have the, you know, the privilege of uh, having a partner that is himself also very technical. Gregorio Rojas is my husband and co-founder. He and I actually met uh, when we were both in college in Boston in the late 1990s. We both had a very uh, keen eye towards community, towards empowerment, towards helping other people increase their own skill set. Back then, we were doing it through student groups. We got married. Uh, luckily, he did decide to move to Los Angeles, which is where my family is from. And when he came here, he had a very, very successful software engineering career. There's just so much opportunity in Los Angeles, as there is in many other major cities. And he was just like, wow, this is amazing. There's just so many jobs in tech. And he was really fired up about the opportunity available in tech. And then he was like, Lily, I, I know there are tons of Latinos here. Why is there no diversity in these tech companies that I'm working at? At the time, he was working at MySpace, and then he went to work on TMZ. So he was working in really, really large companies, and there were still very few people who looked like him, who looked like me, very few women in tech. And we set about fixing that problem. And so he and I came together over many Saturdays. At that time, we had little boys already. We would ship them off to grandma, and he and I would go to Starbucks, right, the proverbial uh, office for a startup. And we would just sit down, create infographics, start thinking about the curriculum, start thinking about how to market this. And together, we really created a unique training program that catered towards diverse populations and that also really made sure that when you graduated, you were a professional. You were someone who could get hired. Seven years later, we have close to uh, well, we have an 80% success rate, and we've helped approximately 800 people become professional software engineers. Wow, that's some. Uh, firstly, congratulations because that means you made a direct impact on 800 people's lives, and then indirectly all of their families. That's a huge success just in itself. You know, that kind of takes me back. And the fact that you're doing that with immigrants and with women in the workplace as well is even better because, like you said, in technology um, and in coding specifically, it's 
it's, it's pretty much white male that, that is doing that. And for you guys to break into that and add some color and spice is fantastic. <laughs> I, I really like that. Um, let's rewind a little bit because you weren't always in the tech space. Um, how did, when you first got here, like you said, you were over in Boston, but then when you came back to LA, I believe you were in real estate. How did you transition from real estate into tech? So my previous role prior to launching Sabio was uh, in new market tax credits. And that is a federal program that allows people to invest in underserved communities. These are zip codes that are designated by the US Treasury as having higher than normal poverty rates and having an average household income that is also below the Metro's average rate. So I come from what I consider an economic development background. And um, through the New Market Tax Credit, we helped uh, projects that were located in low-income census tracts receive these special tax credits. And believe it or not, actually, that experience did help me in launching Sabio. It allowed me to really understand what it means to work with some of the government um, agencies and government programs that allowed us, once we had our company, to be a part of other organizations that received federal grants. In 2017 and 2018, we worked with the Department of Labor and we were a sub-grantee for the Tech Hire grant that went out. Um, so I see my work in, in Sabio that I do now as a continuation of economic development. Once upon a time, I was able to do it in a specific geographic area, but now I feel like I work with specific types of individual specific people and help one family, one community at a time. So for me, it was really the same thing that we were doing. It's about finding opportunity, applying some type of intervention, and then making sure that you track your outcome. Are you getting the results that you wanted? Great. Now, that, that sounds like a natural progression when you lay it out like that. So, so that's really good to hear. And then along the way, you were also ad advising some tax credits as well. Uh, how did that play a role in kind of getting more efficiencies or what lessons were learned in that role? Yeah, so lessons learned whenever you're going to work with uh, any federal program, you have to be very diligent about your paperwork, make sure that your taxes are always filed, that your corporate structure is always very much in order. And so I was able to bring that over to my organization. We were, you know, obviously a team of two. And so we had to be very diligent about making sure that, you know, we tracked all our expenses, we filed all our income taxes, we got licenses for every single thing. And that's actually something that has helped us. It's become a competitive advantage. There are a number of coding boot camps that launched throughout the country that failed to secure the proper license to operate. And because of that, a couple of them were shut down. Some have been fined as much as $150,000. So learning how to work within government regulation is actually something that has been helpful and has helped uh, our organization thrive over the years. And I, make, I recommend that to any business owner. If you're going to start doing something, research that area and find out what kind of a permit do I need, where can I do this kind of business, um, so that you just lay a very solid foundation so that you can grow a wonderful company on that foundation. Yeah, that's actually a really good point is doing the research, doing the due diligence and realizing what 
you need to, to set that foundation because you can't build a skyscraper without having a solid base, right? Exactly. Great. So then let's kind of start in the, the startup world now. So it's you and your husband uh, on a Saturday in Starbucks. Mm-hmm. How do you grow from that to three offices and 800 plus students? Um, that's a big gap there. Can we kind of color that picture in a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Uh, You know, we started small. So the whole startup world, we took a lot of our lessons from, you know, the lean startup, uh, that book had just come out. And so we definitely had that in mind in terms of, we're going to do what we can do, but we're going to do it very well. So our first batch of fellows, there were only four people. So it was a small group. However, we took that small batch just as serious as we take a group when we start 30 people. So we started with four people. We made sure that they all got jobs post-graduation. And then we learned from them. You know, we took some lessons on how we could improve the program. We also, you know, read a couple of books and made sure that we were, okay, if you're an entrepreneur, what are some of the key things you should be doing? We were lucky enough to um, reach out to a couple of local reporters, and they were interested in hearing our story we were able to get a story on NPR right when our first grads uh, completed the program. And that gave us an amazing kind of boost and marketing so that when we went and we put together our second cohort, it was significantly larger. So the idea is to constantly be building on your successes. So, you know, our first media story was something on NPR, which was local, great, on the California Report. Um, when we graduated our second batch of also really diverse people, we were actually able to get the local news there, which was really exciting. So it's really always about doing what you do exceptionally well so that it once again can serve as a building block. And then you do the next thing a little bit larger and a little bit bigger. So that's how over the course of, of seven years, we were able to move into you know different facilities and serve such a great number of individuals. It's by always having a very solid base and foundation and doing those things very well. Great. Now that, that makes a lot of sense. So let's kind of dig a little deeper into those first four people. So how did you acquire those first four people? Because I think a lot of the time people get stuck on that first initial step and paralyze themselves or they overthink things. So when you've got your, your business um, map laid out and you've read these additional resources, which is all very smart things to do and running it, bootstrapping it from the beginning. How did you get those first four people to physically pay you money without having kind of a full track or any track record of doing that previously and not guaranteeing people work, but lining them up for success? Yes. So, you know, you, we live in unprecedented times. There's so many resources. We did a lot of tweeting. We did a a lot of social media posting. Um, We also found organizations that also cared about helping people improve their skills. We got our program advertised in the LA 2050 newsletter, which probably goes out to a million people in Southern California. So you have to do some of that kind of guerrilla marketing that's free, that doesn't cost anything to start kind of getting the word out. And then you have to have a very unique product offering. The the first four people who joined us did not pay us until after they graduated and they got their job. 
right? Because we were a brand new program, people were like, well, I'll come and train with you, but you really don't have a success rate. So it wasn't until after they graduated that they were very happy to write that $10,000 check and to say, hey, I have my job. I can't believe this. I'm now making more money than I made before. And I'm a programmer. Here's your $10,000 that you've earned. So whenever, you know, you're launching a new product or you're venturing into something new, you definitely need to get creative with your pricing and your pricing terms so that you can create a space for yourself in the market. That's really smart. So what I'm hearing is because you didn't have a track record and obviously, you know, you didn't have a track record. You just had to innovate a slightly different way and then build four solid testimonials, which was 100% success rate at that point. And then that allowed you to springboard with the media, with the guerrilla marketing, and it all kind of stacked on levels on top of each other. And that was the springboard. Right, exactly. And you know, whatever you do, it has to be exceptional. When those four people graduated, they were amazing advocates. They spoke about the program in such a profound and passionate way. And we had the numbers on top of it. We said 100%, you know, graduation rate, 100% job placement rate, people more than doubled their income, and they were all coding and getting paid to code. So, you know, it was really a wonderful um, uh, launch story, if you could say that. No, it's fantastic. The case studies and kind of the results speak for themselves at that point. And then it's just about sharing that story with the world, right? Yes, definitely. And so continuing the, to improve. There's always improvements to be made. Definitely. So one of the things that we previously talked about was uh, marketing and how you could market more and kind of become a marketing machine. Is this one of the ways you did that? Or what else have you done along the way over the seven years to kind of keep innovating and keep uh, kind of marketing? Yeah, so marketing is a very important part of any business. Uh, you know, we always are looking for tools that are fantastic, whether it be uh, free online tools like Meetup. You can host a Meetup and it's virtually free. You can do things like automate your tweets using, you know, Hootsuite or Buffer. Um, and then sometimes you have to pay the piper. Sometimes you have to go ahead and buy some Facebook ads, some in Instagram ads. Um, and then we also always focused a lot of our marketing around success stories. Every time I knew someone got a job in tech, I'm in their inbox in two seconds. Congratulations. I'm so happy for you. Please let me tell your story so that other people can see that this is possible. Because it is a big hurdle for people to think, wow, this person was like a waiter at Denny's and now they're a software engineer. Like some people kind of don't buy that. So you have to tell that story over and over and over and over again. Um, so marketing uh, has for us been really about storytelling and making sure that people know the stories so that they can feel comfortable making the investment of becoming a fellow. Got it. Now that makes a lot of sense. And then along these seven years, I'm sure there's been some ups and also some downs. Can you tell us about some of the downs and how you kind of persevered and, and got through them? Yeah, I mean, there's staffing challenges that you're going to have. Um, you know, you can hire someone that you love and you adore and that you think is a genius and they work hard. But then stuff starts creeping up and you have to let them go. And so, you know, things like that are, are very difficult because when you're a smaller organization, every single team member um, is very much a part of your brand. So when you have to kind of separate them from the organization, some of your customers may not understand why that's happening. And as an employer, you're basically mummed, right? You can't say a single thing. 
because you can get sued. You're an employer. California definitely protects its employees very well. So we had a couple of staffing challenges that were very, very challenging. Gregorio and I had to really kind of hunker down and try to create additional systems and protocols to protect us um, and to hire differently to bring people in and give them more of a trial period for a month or two. We would pay people, but it was very clear, like we're going to see if this is a match. Um, so staffing is, is definitely something that as you grow, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. It's wonderful that you're growing, but then you have to start putting your baby in other people's hands. And that is a challenge for entrepreneurs, for founders. Oh yeah, definitely. We found the same thing as, as we scaled with uh, Together CFO that sometimes you just have to let off the reins and delegate and trust as well. Uh, what are some of the systems and processes is, that you put in place with your business to really help it succeed? Yeah, so once upon a time, we were very much in the pod mentality, which would be that we would hire an exceptional senior software engineer. We would train them how to be an educator, how to be a mentor, and then we would give them a plan, right? For these next 12 weeks, the, this is what needs to happen. And we would have staff meetings and, and we really kind of let that senior software engineer take care of their pod. Um, we, we broke that up and we decided that instead of having one senior person in charge of, you know, 10, 15 students, we would have three senior people in charge of 30 students. And that allowed us to open up the pod and give us visibility into what was happening. Because if you have one senior instructor who's taking care of your morning lectures, then you have someone else who's maybe doing code review at one and then you have someone else who's managing the project in the evenings, that gives us more accountability and more visibility. So if anything kind of is going awry, we have other people who are looking at the same thing and then someone can say, hey, something's a little off here. So that was something that really was a big aha moment for us. We obviously had the best intentions of saying, hey, you're gonna have one senior instructor, they're gonna love you, they're gonna be 100% responsible for you, but whenever there's an issue, Gregorio and I would take too long for people to speak up. So we kind of broke that up and we said, all right, let's layer it. Let's do something a little bit differently. And that's been really successful. So I, that was a massive learning for us. That makes a lot of sense. And then just lastly, to touch on your relationship with your husband and how do you, how do you find living and working together and how have you made that work? Because that's often a very tough thing to do. Yeah, I mean, Gregorio and I met out in the field, so to speak. He was a student leader at Boston University. I was a student leader at Wellesley College. We came together because we were already doing community organizing. And so I think because we met in that context, we are able to work together because, you know, he was at Boston, I was at Wellesley, but we were collaborating and doing things together. So we always knew that we had that aspect to our relationship on top of being able to have fun and you know enjoying each other's company there was that other layer available so when it came to actually setting up a a, a company we knew that we had the ability to work together and how do you divide and conquer on the tasks uh, it's really about, uh, you know, who is, is strong in something. Luckily, Gregorio is an exceptional salesperson. So uh, my, my, my main role is sales. 
and marketing. However, if ever I need to step away or he needs to take a, a sales call, I mean, he's, he's exceptional as well. So he's an exceptionally talented person. Um, but most of his time he spent in the training room and devising and cultivating the curriculum. And I have to set up the whole infrastructure. So it's making sure all the taxes get paid, making sure every payroll gets done. Everybody has health insurance. Our leases are taken care of. So I set up all the infrastructure. And then I also help students on board, helping them understand what the program is like. So we've kind of divided duties according to our strengths. No, that makes a lot of sense. And to have that clear curriculum and then also all of the day-to-day -day pieces in place is, uh, is a dream team combination. Thank you. So if I, to end the, the kind of the chat, I like to ask a question and it's, if you had to split your success or attribute your success between three factors, the three factors being drive, skill, and luck, how would you split that? It's definitely a drive, skill, and luck. You, you have to really, really want it. You have to want to bring something to life because you believe that this is needed in the world, um, that that is going to fuel you. And then you definitely have to rely on whatever skills you have. Every person has different skills. So you just have to figure out what am I exceptional at? Focus on those and then bring in partners, whether it be your partner or your friends or family members or people you find on AngelList that complement your skills. And then, um, luck will happen got it so what i'm hearing is work really hard focus on being really exceptional what you do and the luck takes care of itself yeah definitely you do need to be lucky you do need to have some of those chance encounters um you know that stuff like that definitely has to happen but if you have not worked hard you will not be as lucky fantastic great thank you liliana for sharing everything with us you've been fantastic Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to hearing many more of your episodes. Thanks. Bye-bye.